The following sermon is from Grace Church East County. More information about Grace Church is available at gracechurcheast.org. Sharon's going to pray for us and read our passage in Revelation chapter 2. Let's pray together. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that, um, that we can know you through your word. And Jesus, we thank you that you walk among your churches and that you know your churches so intimately well. In the spirit of God, we just pray that you would give us ears to hear what you are saying to the churches, especially in this passage today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Sharon. You probably know the name Alfred Nobel, founder of the Nobel Prize. Nobel Prizes are awarded for advances benefiting humanity in medicine, physics, chemistry, literature, and of course, the Nobel Peace Prize. You might not know that Alfred Nobel was also the inventor of dynamite. He made a huge fortune with his explosive invention. One day, Alfred picked up a Paris newspaper and read his own obituary. It was actually Alfred's brother Ludwig who had died, but the newspaper mistakenly published Alfred's obituary instead. It began, quote, the merchant of death is dead. It went on. Dr. Alfred Nobel, who became rich by finding ways to kill people faster than ever before, died yesterday. Alfred threw the newspaper down in disgust, seeing what other people actually thought of him, the merchant of death. He decided to leave a very different legacy. Thus, the Nobel Prize was born. Imagine that. You open the newspaper, and there, publicly, before everyone, is how others evaluate your life. There, in, in black and white, their evaluation of you for all to read. What would you do with that? How would you think about such an evaluation? What would you do if it was not a Paris newspaper, 
but the Lord Jesus publishing his evaluation. What would you do if Jesus were publishing his evaluation of his church and even this church? Would we take that evaluation seriously and respond like Alfred Nobel to do anything we could to potentially alter such an evaluation? Friends, that's the issue before us. In this first of seven letters to seven ancient churches. You might recall seven is a number of completeness in Revelation. So Jesus is addressing these seven real churches to, in effect, address his complete church. Jesus is addressing issues his entire church will face between his first and second comings. And that includes our church. He's publishing his evaluation to show what he really cares about in every church until he returns, including our church. But this evaluation is not from a cynical newspaper. This evaluation is from one who loves us and died for us. This evaluation is coming from the one who cares more deeply for you and me than we fully realize and wants our greatest good. So what would the risen Jesus evaluate in his church? What would he commend? And what would he command? Let's see those things together that we might respond like Alfred Nobel. What does Jesus commend? And what would Jesus command? First, Jesus commends an enduring commitment to truth. Jesus commends here. He commends an enduring commitment to truth. Each of these seven letters begins with a sovereign address from the risen king, Look at verse 1. It reads, To the angel or messenger of the church in Ephesus, that great ancient city, Ephesus, where the temple of Artemis was located, one of the wonders of the ancient world. And Ephesus had not one, but two temples dedicated to the worship of the emperor. Yes, the emperor at the time wanted to be worshipped as Lord and God. So to that church, in that place, in that situation, we read, write the words of him, these divine words. Him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. And then, as in most of these letters, Jesus provides some commendation, some encouragement. Verse 2, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested, 
tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. So they are, they are commended, aren't they, for their endurance and for hating evil by their doctrinal discernment. You don't bear, you don't tolerate those who are evil, but you tested them. You tested those so-called apostles and found them to be liars. And there's a similar commendation down in verse 6. Look down to verse 6. Yet this you have, you hate, Jesus says. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. We're not sure exactly, but it seems this group may have advocated some compromise with the false worship going on, maybe the worship of the emperor. And Jesus says he hates those who prey on his sheep with such lies. And the Ephesians hated that too. Their spiritual lie detectors were working brilliantly. They knew the truth and they were testing people with the truth. Well done, Jesus says. In fact, the Apostle Paul planted this church and spent extended time there. In Acts 20, he warned their elders about wolves arising from their midst He left Timothy there and wrote two letters to Timothy, instructing him about how to combat false teaching in Ephesus. And all that effort has paid off. Paul's been dead for 30 years. But still, this church is strong in doctrinal discernment. They're enduring in a commitment to the truth, and we must do the same. We must be a church who stays committed to the truth of Christ. A church that continues to love sound doctrine. A church that continues to prioritize God's word. But staying committed to the truth is not enough. Oh, that's vital, but insufficient. In the Christian life, it's been said that our theology is like a skeleton in a body. Think about your body. You have a skeleton, a skeleton that's essential to your body. Your skeleton provides structure for your entire body. But if your skeleton is the only thing showing of your body, or the main thing showing, you've got a problem. If you're just bones or just skin and bones, you're either really sick or you might be dead. And so it is with churches. If all we have is the skeleton of truth, if that's all that's visible in this body here, we're in trouble because that's not a picture of spiritual health. So Jesus commends their enduring commitment to truth, but they have a a serious shortcoming. Secondly, Jesus commands something. He commands here earnest deeds of love. He commends their commitment to the truth, but he commands. He commands earnest deeds of love. Earnest deeds of love. Look at verse 4 now. And let us just hear this from the risen, sovereign Lord. I have this 
against you. That you have abandoned the love you had at first. You have forsaken your first love, your former love. And that happens a lot in life, doesn't it? I don't mean to trivialize here, but just to illustrate, I loved my used Honda Accord when I bought it. It was three years old when I bought it, and I I loved it. Looked sharp, in my opinion. It was fun to drive, but that was over four years ago. And now those new Honda Accords really catch my eye. They really look sharp. And my almost eight-year-old Honda Accord, well, it runs fine, but I've lost some of my former love. That happens with a job. You might love your job at first and not so much later on. More seriously, it can happen in a marriage. And it happens in churches like Ephesus. So Jesus gives them a recovery plan. Verse 5. Remember. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. It's a three-step recovery plan, three commands. Remember that former love. Repent. Change your mind, your thinking, your desires. And do, do the works, the deeds you did previously. He goes on in verse 5. He goes on. If not, if not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Now that's not Jesus' second coming in view. This is judgment threatened against that local church. Recall these seven lampstands symbolize these seven local churches. For Jesus to remove your lampstand means you cease to be a church. So the million-dollar question is, what is the former love they abandoned? What is that former love? And truth be told, commentators are all across the board on that question. Either they've abandoned their love for Christ or their love for each other or their love for those outside the church. And let me say loud and clear, the ultimate answer is D, all of the above. Because those three loves are inextricably linked, are connected, they're related to each other. Love for God, love for each other, and love for those who don't know Christ are all related, all connected, But we should ask, I think, is there any internal evidence, any evidence in this passage that seems to point in one of those directions particularly? Not excluding all the others. But before we bring other passages in, we should ask, is there internal evidence, evidence in this particular text that seems to highlight one of those loves in particular. So may I show you a few clues in this passage? May I do that? All right. Well, first, it does appear they are quite committed to Jesus. 
We find no rebuke here against idolatry like we find with some other churches. And they live, they live where the temple to Artemis, that famous wonder of the world, was located, a place where there was not one but two temples to the emperor, but no address about idolatry from Jesus in this passage. They, they don't tolerate falsehood at all, as we've seen. And look at verse 3. Notice what Jesus says in verse 3. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake. On account of my name. Do you see that? For my name's sake. On account of my name. They're enduring for the Lord, he says. Their commitment to him, it would seem. Plus, this love was visible. Jesus says, do the works, the deeds you did at first. This love was seen. It was, it was evident. It was shown. All that seems to me to point to a, an abandoned love for people in particular. But which people? Which people? Well, a key thing to notice in each of these seven letters is the unique piece from the vision of Jesus we saw last week in chapter 1, the unique piece from that vision that gets highlighted in each of the letters. So look back to verse 1 where you see that piece here. Verse 1, it says, the latter part of verse 1, that Jesus walks among what? The seven golden lampstands. That's uniquely highlighted, intentionally highlighted. And then what's the, what's the threat in verse 5? Jesus will remove what? Your lampstand. So, so the lampstand symbolism is being accented. What's the function of a lampstand? Well, to give light, to shine into the darkness. I grab a flashlight when I want to see in the dark and light up something. I turn on the lights in the living room when the room is dark and I want to see to shine light into that dark room. Lampstands do the same. They shine with light into the darkness around them. As Dennis Johnson puts it, quote, the lampstand signals their calling. The lampstand signals their calling and our calling. To reflect the light of God's heavenly court into the present darkness on earth. Or as Jesus put it, let your light shine. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works, your good deeds, and give glory to your Father in heaven. Now remember, Jesus is addressing his entire church and tendencies throughout the church age. A common tendency is to neglect that command to shine with our light toward others. But again, the ultimate answer is D, all the above. Love for Christ, his people, and those who are not his people. But what seems to be particularly in view is a lost love for those outside the church. Are all those loves related? Yes. But let's Let's apply Jesus' three-step recovery program to that particular love. 
Let's do what Alfred Nobel did and, and earnestly respond to this public evaluation Jesus gives. Let us, let us first remember. Let us remember the ways, perhaps, that we used to long for others to come to know Christ. I know in my life that can wane. Let us remember. Second, let us repent. Let us change our minds. The church in Ephesus was commended for their intolerance of lies and spiritual deceit. But maybe, maybe their intolerance of lies, their intolerance of deceit, their intolerance of untruth became an intolerance for those who don't know the truth. So here's the change your mind question. Has our spiritual lie detection produced relational rejection for those who don't know Christ? Just a question. Has our spiritual lie detection led to some relational rejection of those who don't yet know the Savior? Maybe they're Democrats or they're in independent or the Green Party or whatever political party, and you're of a different political party, and so you want nothing to do with them. Fill in the blank of the political party, and it's not yours, and so you reject them. Or they would identify with the LGBTQ community in their practice. They're living out those desires. They don't hold to a biblical sexual ethic in their practice, and so you reject them personally. Or that neighbor or classmate or coworker you just find annoying. Maybe they use language you don't want to be around. Or they believe things you find abhorrent, so you withdraw from them. I want nothing to do with that. We've got truth, we might say. We've got sound doctrine, we might say. But God says, good, but that's not enough. He says, Grace Church, I also want you to shine as a lampstand. To shine into the darkness, glowing with truth, because you're fueled by love. So we remember, we repent, and we do. We do our former deeds of love. But I realize that there might be some of us here who are feeling some, like, internal condemnation right now. Tab, you're saying I need to go street preaching this afternoon. I knew I shouldn't have come here today. I don't believe that's Jesus' message to you. And this did hit me this week. Churches that cease to shine into the darkness with love and truth will at some point cease to be a lampstand. But then it also hit me. This is written to a church collectively. This angel or messenger being addressed is representative of the entire church in Ephesus. The local church in Ephesus collectively as a body is being addressed. A group of people formed into one lampstand, to use the symbolism. In other words, 
It takes all of our gifts and all of our strengths, diverse as they are, together, collectively, to be the lampstand God would have us be. Let me illustrate. For some people, for some of us here, telling everyone they meet about Jesus seems to come naturally. Eric Lemkul and Mindy Colton and Margie Pedelford and my dear wife, they, they share Jesus so easily. It's like breathing for them. That's great. We need people declaring those words of love. But we also, listen, we also need people who are more inclined to deeds of love. And that might be what's especially in view here. Jesus says, repent and do the works, the deeds you did. Sure, that involves speaking, but there's a doing, there's a reflecting in our actions of Christ's love. I thought about Dan Arthur, and he has not given me permission to share this. Dan has like off the charts gifts of service. Like I've met few people like him, off the charts gifts of service. He shared last week without ever highlighting himself, about Bridge of Hope and our partnership with Bridge of Hope in City Heights. And Dan is there regularly picking up food, giving out food to hungry people, serving in whatever needs there. I ask you, is Dan helping us be a lampstand shining into the darkness with love? Absolutely. So do we need Eric, Margie, Mindy, Sung, and others shining with words of love? Yes. And do we need Dan and Colin and others shining with their deeds of love? Yes. Why? That together, collectively, we might be the lampstand God has designed us to be. In fact, we've been begun to talk and pray with our home group leaders and Bible study leaders about how might God use our strength of community, our strength of love, that others might see Christ's love? And I'm excited about that. But today, maybe just ask yourself this question for application. How has God designed me? What kind of witness has he inclined me to be? What part has he designed me to play in this lampstand that together, collectively, we might shine with Christ's love? That was a long question. Let me say it again. What part has he designed you to be, me to be? We're all different. What part has he designed you to play in this lampstand that together, friends, collectively, each playing their own part, that collectively we shine with Christ's love? And then we play that part. And I would, of course, add, let us pray. Because nothing happens without God's work. We've asked you to pray for at least one person who doesn't yet know Jesus. So certainly keep praying for that one person and play your part as God has designed you to be. This is not condemnation from our Savior. This is his wonderful ways he wants to use us. He says to us here, our commitment to truth must be demonstrated with real love. Our commitment to truth must be demonstrated with real love. But 
Unlike Alfred Nobel's evaluation, Jesus' evaluation comes with an extraordinary promise. Look at the end of verse 7. He says, our commitment to truth must be demonstrated with real love, and then he motivates us at the end of verse 7. To the one who conquers, we're going to see this a lot, to the one who conquers, who overcomes, who perseveres, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now, Ephesus, the temple of Artemis, that was built on an ancient tree shrine. An image of the date palm symbolized that goddess and the city. But Jesus reminds them and us of a far better tree, the tree of life. A reference to the promise of forgiveness and eternal life in Christ. And the hope of being in God's immediate presence forever in the paradise of God. The paradise lost in the book of Genesis is the paradise restored in the book of Revelation. So Jesus is telling us here, use your sanctified imagination. Look ahead and anticipate what's to come. Banking on Christ's presence forever. Seeing him face to face. And oh, won't that motivate us to hold fast to his truth? and to love those around us. Let this image of a greater reality, friends, capture your imagination. The tree of life in the paradise of God, it compels us to hold fast to the good news and love those around us and love each other. Christ has purchased your access to that tree. Jesus purchased your access to that tree. So behold his love, yes. Behold his love for you. And let his love fuel our love for others. Let's pray together. And if you are here and maybe you are not sure you have trusted Jesus for that promise of life in him. I urge you right now to turn to Christ and trust in his life, death and resurrection. For others who have trusted in him, let us behold the glory of this promise. Eternal life and God's presence forever. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you. Thank you for this letter addressing not just an ancient church, but addressing every church until you come. Would you help us to behold your great love, our Savior? Help us to remember that you have purchased access to this tree that was off limits to us because of our sin but you have blazed the trail by your death and resurrection that we might anticipate the paradise of God forever. Help us then to remain committed to your truth and fueled with great love. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church East County. Please find us online at gracechurcheast.org if you would like to find out more about us.